Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. On today's episode, we have Vani Hari, aka the food babe. You might have heard of her before. I love this conversation because I am so fascinated by whistleblowers lately. Basically people who sound the alarm on a crisis that is being ignored by our government or the FDA or the EPA. And Vani is so interesting to me because she saw that there was an issue in our food supply and said, I'm not going to back down despite people telling me that I'm fear-mongering or causing hysteria or whatever it is, I'm going to stand up to these big food companies and I'm going to gather a group of people who she calls the Food Babe Army to come together and really make a difference. And so often these women who are wanting to make a difference are mothers. And I love that because they are just like, I want to make a better world for my children than the world that I lived in. And I'm so fascinated and inspired by the Food Babe story and how she brought this community of people together to really create change. Yeah, I've been following Vani for, gosh, over 10 years. And I thought I knew a lot about her, but this was a really fun interview even for me to really understand her origin story, how she's gotten to where she is. I mean, she is such an inspiration. I literally have goosebumps when you were talking about her. And really, she's completely changed the food industry and just educating so many people along the way. And also what I loved about this interview is that towards the end, we also talked about her latest book called Food Babe Family, where, you know, Abia were a very very passionate about easy and effective ways to incorporate wellness in our life. And she's all about how we can support our families using real food, easy, impactful recipes for all of us. And, you know, a lot of learnings, whether you have kids or not, came from this. So that was uh, a lot of takeaways over there too, Kea. Yeah, totally. I particularly just loved her advice on if you have a picky eater, because all of a sudden my daughter turned two and she is now a little bit more picky. And I'm like, what happened? What do we do? And Vani gave us some really practical advice. And this is not just for kids. Like you mentioned, Yasmin, this is for adults too, because adults can be picky eaters as well. So today we have Vani Hari. She is a revolutionary food activist, a New York Times bestselling author, co-founder of the organic food brand Truvani, and was named one of the most influential people on the internet by Time Magazine. She started foodbabe.com to spread information about what is really in the American food supply. She teaches people how to make the right purchasing decisions at the grocery store, how to live an organic lifestyle, and how to travel healthfully around the world. You can learn more about her at foodbabe.com. So let's get into it. Bonnie, I'm so excited that you're you're here. You know, you're a dear friend of mine. And I was actually thinking before we jumped on the interview, like, how long have I been following your work? And I saw that from 2014 was a first email I got from you, which is like almost 10 years ago, where you were sharing like, what was the list of the healthiest breads that you recommended? And you were really the first person to open my eyes on 
what kind of food to eat, how to look for it. So I'm excited that you're here. And what I was thinking is that, gosh, I know Vani's work so well, and I know you as a person, but I actually don't know your origin story about how you even became a food activist. So maybe you can kind of share with me and our audience what really propelled you in this world. Well, I had no idea, by the way, that you had been following me for that long. That's cool. I I too. No idea. Yeah, I just thought you were like friends with me because I was friends with Drew. You know? <laughs> no, I've been following you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. So I grew up and you guys are going to totally resonate with this. I grew up with two immigrant Indian parents. And so they came here to the United States after they had an arranged marriage. So my dad had been living here in the United States for few years going to college. And then his mom summoned him back to India to have an arranged marriage. And he had like a lineup of women. And I just remember him saying he met my mom first and was like comparing everyone to her and wanted to marry her. And she was just going away for the weekend. She had no idea she was going to get married within the next five days. And so she had left her house and was away on the weekend in Ludhiana, um, India. And ends up getting married to my dad. Somehow they get, I don't know, you can like pay people to do this for you back then, but you, you could get a passport within a couple of days. So they ended up coming straight to America after they got married for their honeymoon. And my mom literally never even went back to her house to like pack up any of her things or anything like that. She came straight to the US. And when my dad brought her here, she was in like shell shock. You know, she had never had any American food before. She was used to making everything from scratch with these amazing medicinal Indian spices and cooking, you know, with her mother and all of that kind of stuff. And now she was living in this world where everything was fast paced and fast food culture. And my dad was like, if we're going to eat like America, if we're going to live like Americans, we're going to eat like Americans. And here's a McDonald's hamburger. So he introduced my mom to this like lifestyle here in America. And my mom quickly realized that like that wasn't working for her. Like she, had, you know, she had kind of tasted this stuff and was just kind of like, I don't know if it's like the right stuff for me. And so she went back to like her, her roots and started to make Indian food for my dad and for herself. And when my brother and I were born, we were in a situation where we were surrounded by American children. We had no other Indian children around us, not in our school, not until much later in school. But when we were really young, we felt very much like an outsider. And so we wanted to do whatever we could to fit in. And so I begged my mom for all of the food that I saw my classmates eating. And it included all the fast food stuff, all the things you would buy at the grocery store. And because my parents didn't know how to cook like a traditional, like I was thinking like Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday, meals, they would rely on all of the packaged processed goods at the grocery store to make those meals for us when we were growing up. Even birthday cake like was a thing foreign to my mom. She knew how to make burfi and galab jamans, but she didn't know how to make a birthday cake. So we started with like a frozen pepperidge farm chocolate cake or chocolate icing and white vanilla cake inside cake for every single birthday. And she would take that out. I remember we'd have to wait there for it to thaw. And she'd stick candles in it. And that's how we celebrated our birthdays. It was never like a homemade from scratch kind of situation. It was always the Betty Crocker, the stovetop stuffing, you know, the cranberry sauce in the can, all of that kind of stuff. And so I just grew up on fast food and then a lot of processed foods in order to fit in. And that landed me in the hospital. It landed me at the doctor's office. 
I mean, I was in and out of doctor's offices the majority of my childhood and then in my early 20s as well. At one point, I was on nine prescription drugs to control all sorts of ailments like endometriosis, eczema, asthma, allergies, all sorts of issues that I was experiencing because of the food that I was eating. And I had no idea that it was the food um, until I started to do research and I hit rock bottom. And that happened when I was working for this big consulting firm right out of college. And they gave me this job and they gave me this expense account. And they're like, here's $70 a day. You can buy whatever you want and eat whatever you want. And like, I found myself going to these fancy steakhouses and other places that they would serve you like five course meals. And I would eat it all because I was just like, a, it was like, I was like, oh, this is so great. This is like a, such a lavish lifestyle. But then, you know, because of the fast paced culture of that work where they wanted you to work through breakfast, lunch and dinner, and they would cater in all of the different meals. I found myself feeling really bad about myself because I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't putting myself first. I was wanting to excel at my job. And so I was kind of doing what everybody else was doing again and outsourcing my food again to the culture that I was around. And I found myself gaining weight, feeling really bad about myself. And that's when I ended up with appendicitis. And I remember I had a terrible pain in my side and I went to the doctor. My parents took me to the emergency room and I happened to be home, which was great, not traveling for work. And they took me to the emergency room and the emergency room doctor, I just, I remember his face. I remember everything about him. And he just kind of looked at me and he said, there's nothing wrong. You're probably going to get your period or something. You know, you probably have cramps, like take some Advil and you're going to be fine. And if it wasn't for my parents' sixth sense, like first thing in the morning, they're like, you know, how are you feeling? Like, what's going on? I'm like, I still feel it. And they just were like, you need to go see your regular doctor. And it was two minutes in that office with my regular doctor that they diagnosed appendicitis and was like, you need to have emergency appendectomy right now. We're going to refer you to a surgeon. And within that afternoon, I was having an emergency appendectomy. And I remember that night was a big, huge party with all of my friends. And I was 22 years old at the time. So I was going out, meeting guys, like doing all this fun stuff. And I remember picking out my outfit for that night. This is a huge party that I look forward to every year. And you buy gifts uh, for all of these underprivileged kids and and you take them to this party and everybody sees the gifts and it's so much fun because you see all these toys that are going out for donations and it's really fun and everyone dresses up and I just remember like recovering in a hospital room thinking this is not how I want to live my life like I should be out partying right now right now I feel the worst I've ever felt in my life and to recover from that surgery it takes usually about a week or whatever but it took me a month at least I was just so my body was so inflamed and the stress levels and the lifestyle that I was living just really took a toll on my body. And I was 22 years old, like at the prime of my life, I should be feeling the best and I was feeling the worst. And so it was that moment that I decided to not let my surroundings kind of dictate how I was supposed to feel or what I was supposed to eat. And so I immediately started to make some changes. I said, first of all, I want to lose this weight. So I'm going to figure out how to lose weight. I started reading all these health magazines, like health and women's health and, um, you know, all of those magazines. I don't know. They still exist today, but I feel like I never even bothered to pick them up anymore. And so I would read about that. And then I remember my coworker, she was on Weight Watchers and she was like, hey, you got to do the point system and you're going to lose weight doing the point system. And Something about that just didn't sit right for me because she would 
there'd be these circumstances that would happen throughout the day where she'd be like, something's only one point and it wouldn't make sense. Like for example, at her boss's desk, she had a huge tub of red vines, like red licorice. And she said, you know, each one of those is just one point. So like you can have one of those and be like, and still lose weight and still feel great or whatever. So it was like a really on the same lines of like calorie counting points, right? And, but when I looked at the ingredients of what was in those red vines, I'm like, it's just pure sugar and corn syrup and red 40 and like these things I don't even recognize. What is this stuff? And it just didn't make a lot of sense to me because at the same time I was following her and what she was doing, I was also reading literature about nutrition. And the way that I found the books to read was I did it the old fashioned way. I went to the library, picked out several big, thick books on nutrition. One of the first books I read was called Spiritual Nutrition and Conscious Eating by Gabriel Cousins. They were they were so thick and so dense into all of this literature that I had never experienced before in terms of what true health is. And there was this theme throughout both books that really just opened my eyes to what I had been doing for most of my life. And that was the majority of grocery store foods that are packaged, processed, and fast food is dead. It's dead food. And that's going to that's the way it's going to make you feel. And that's how I felt for most of my life. Very zombie-like. Didn't feel like I had everything going on in the brain. You know, I felt very fuzzy. Um, and so it was like, it was just an aha moment. And I decided, okay, if everything that's in a package or pro that's processed dead, what can I eat that's alive? And so I started to change the things that I started to eat to being alive foods you know, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, like, uh, you know, different meats. And so I started to do that. And then when I did that, everything changed. And one of the first, I would say, additives or chemicals I removed from my diet was artificial dyes. And I was a candy addict, you know, my, my parents never, you know, every Halloween, they didn't care how much I ate. They did not regulate my food intake at all growing up. I mean, food was never a subject of, you know, you can't eat this or you can't eat that. It was, you need to eat because they grew up in a scarcity mindset, being surrounded by poverty, being around so many people that couldn't even afford to eat, that having this abundance of food all of a sudden was like, this is amazing. Let them eat whatever they want to eat. This candy is great, you know, or Coca-Cola, whatever. Like it doesn't matter as long as they're growing and they're, you know, they're not shriveling up and getting skinny, like they're going to be fine. And so when I was an adult, I also treated that way with like candy is like, I'm like, I'll eat a whole box of runts or a whole box of, you know, sweet tarts or whatever. And so what I realized very quickly was that the majority of candy was like full of different additives and chemicals. And the one thing that was triggering my eczema, I felt like was the artificial dyes. And so I eliminated artificial dyes was one of the first things. And when I made that choice, everyone around me was like, whoa, 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 candy queen has given up candy. Like this is weird, right? And, you know, we would, I would go to the movies with friends or we in a situation where there's a party and there's like M&M sitting out or whatever. And I wouldn't go for them. And the people around me were like, what's going on? Like, what did, what did you find out about this stuff? Right. And so people started to become very inquisitive. And at the same time, my body started to change. I started to realize a, a stable weight that I never had to diet anymore. 
my skin dramatically cleared up. I went off nine prescription drugs. You know, everything started to change. I started to become more successful at my career. I just had more energy to do what I wanted to do. And so, so my friends and my family were like, okay, let's, let's hear like what's going on. And the first thing they asked me were like, you know, what are some of these recipes you're making now? Like, what are these green drinks? What are these salads? Like, tell us about this stuff. And so that's when Food Bake was born, which, which was, you know, people were like, okay, we want to know what you're doing. We want a little bit of the secret sauce. And so I started Food Babe on a whim. I gave up television for Lent. I'm not Catholic, but I gave up television and that's where I found the time to do it. And so giving up that and then still working, you know, 50 to 60 hours a week on my job and traveling for work, I just spent the evenings writing and researching and and sharing my recipes and things like that. And I remember I wanted to call the blog eathealthyliveforever.com and my husband, who is the tech geek in the family, he, I, I yelled it out to him. I was like, Hey, can you register this name? And he said to me, absolutely not. That is the worst name. And no one's going to remember that. And I was like, oh, come on, you know? And at the time, I think I was reading maybe one or two blogs. It was like goop and like one other one, I think, you know? And, and so I was like trying to like research blogs and, and find out like what I could call it. And I had nothing. And like 10 minutes later, he, he, he yells back from the other room, how about food babe? And he bought it for $10 on auction. And that's how I became the food babe because I started blogging and realizing that I didn't want everyone to know who I was because I was still in this corporate environment working for these C-level executives. And I'm like, you know, I know they know that I'm the health freak at work, but like, they don't need to know that I have this blog and I'm writing all this stuff. And, you know, they don't need to know any of that stuff. And so I would just sign every blog post food babe. And for the first year and a half of the blog, before I ended up quitting my job, I never had a picture on the front header. It was this cartoon character. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. I can relate to so much of what you were saying, especially coming from an immigrant family. Like my brother and my sister were born in Kenya. And then my mom and my mom and dad moved to America and got pregnant with me in Nashville. And my mom at the time when she was pregnant with me was working at a Dunkin' Donuts. And so this is the first time she ever had donuts in her life and was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to eat these things. Now I work here and this is what I do. And I always joke with her, like, I know my microbiome is messed up because you lived in America when you were pregnant with me. But it kind of was interesting because they didn't question it. They just trusted. They trusted that, like, 
hey, we live here now. This is the land of freedom. The government is looking out for us. Like we just eat whatever is available. And that's very common right now. So I'm actually curious, like what happened next? Because you started to get some nationwide attention for the work that you were doing. And I, I would love for you to share a little bit about like the work that you started to do to get the average American to understand what's actually in their food supply. So when people, you know, people have been asking me lately, they've been saying, you know, Vani, where do you find this continued drive to do the work that you did? You know, I just published my fourth book. It's called Food Babe Family. And it's all about teaching kids the truth about the food industry. Because for so much of my life, my family, your families didn't know the truth about the food industry, right? We didn't have this information at our fingertips to teach our kids. Like they just didn't know any better. And now we're in a situation where we do know better because of some of the work that I was able to help inspire along with who I call the Food Babe Army, my community of readers and followers who not only care about their health, but they're willing to go and start petitions and call companies and demand change. And after I started blogging, I realized this passion that existed out there that people felt tired and upset and they wanted answers to why they thought the foods that they were eating were healthy or fine to eat. When they found out the truth, they were felt duped. And I felt that way too. And so a lot of the companies that I decided to write about, actually every single company at that point in time that I wrote about had a personal, I had a personal vendetta or a personal story that led me to investigate them. So one of one example of that was uh, Subway. Subway was something that my coworkers every single day around me in the office were eating. They'd slap that big foot long on the table. And it was something that I ate all the time before I had that appendectomy. It was, you know, I got a, you know, six inch veggie sub like all the time. It was like Jared's losing weight. Like everyone, this is under 300 calories this is so healthy for me. And when I looked into the slogan, eat fresh to see if people were really eating fresh, what I found out was something exactly opposite. And that was that the bread had close to 50 ingredients in it, many chemicals that are banned in other countries, a chemical called azodicarbonamide that if you get caught using it in Singapore, you get put in prison and fined $450,000. And I was like, well, why are they using this azodicarbonamide ingredient here in the United States, but not elsewhere? And why are we being subjected to these chemicals? And, you know, that's what led me to my work to, to discover that the FDA is really asleep at the wheel, that we have this underlying assumption that everybody's, you know, working in, in the government to third party test these chemicals and make sure they're safe for use before they're created in, in our in factories and put into food and then they're recognized as what they call generally regarded as safe. And then it's approved for use. But it's actually the companies that create these chemicals who provide the safety data. And then the FDA just rubber stamps it. And that's how over 10,000 chemicals have been added to our food supply over the last 50 years or so. And those chemicals have largely been invented only for one sole purpose, which is to improve the bottom line of the food industry. This azodicarbonamide ingredient I found out is the same ingredient they use in yoga mat and shoe rubber. And if you look at a yoga mat sideways, you see those evenly dispersed air bubbles. 
Uh, that's the same thing it does in bread. So when you bake bread at home, it's always like funky, right? There's some air bubbles here and there, and it's not uniform. Well, they wanted their bread to be very uniform at Subway, so you have the same experience every time. That's actually why processed food becomes addicting. You know what to expect every single time. And it's one of the reasons why children are so picky these days and why so many parents complain of picky children because of the processing of food. The food manufacturers have learned to make their food so perfect and distinct every single time so you know exactly what you're getting, whereas nature doesn't have that. When you're eating a blueberry, sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's sour, sometimes it's juicy, sometimes it's small and mealy, right? And so you, you, when you eat real food, your brain and your taste palate receives totally different information unless unless you're eating something like a goldfish cracker, which is the same damn thing every time. And you're not getting that information and that variety in your palate. And then you become picky. So the food industry knows this, this happens. And that's why they, they create repeat customers and why Subway was the number one fast food chain in the world at that time until I started a petition to get this chemical out of bread and made worldwide news. It was so viral and so chaotic and so crazy that Subway vowed to remove the chemical along with all of their artificial ingredients and decided to go antibiotic free within the next year because they lost so much market share. Then every single bread manufacturer in America virtually dropped azodicarbonamide as an ingredient. And so that's just one example of many in terms of we've gotten Chipotle to release their ingredients and uh, become GMO free. One of the first chains ever to uh, declare that they don't serve GMOs at their fast food chain. We got uh, Starbucks to remove caramel coloring level four, which is an ammonia based color that uh, is considered a carcinogen, according to the International Agency for Research on Cancer. And we got them to release the ingredients in their drinks for the first time in history. We got the beer manufacturers Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors to release their ingredients and their products for the first time in history. We've gotten artificial food dyes out of so many different brands, but most notably Kraft macaroni and cheese, which they were using artificial dyes in overseas, but they were using it here in the United States. Overseas, there's a warning label for anyone that uses an artificial food dye. It says, may cause adverse effects on activity and attention in children. Because food manufacturers don't want to put that warning label on their products, they've figured out how to reformulate their products that, and they taste the same, they look the same without these harmful chemicals, and they serve them overseas. One notable company that's still doing this that I feel like is just, it's, it's so abysmal in terms of their morality and they're so unethical is Kellogg's. You know, overseas, and in Europe, Kellogg's doesn't use artificial dyes in any of their cereals marketed towards kids. But here in the United States, they get away with it because our FDA is asleep at the wheel. It really blows my mind. And Bonnie, like so proud of everything that you've done with your community and all the change you've been making. I mean, it's really amazing. And, you know, there's a story that comes to mind. I remember I was studying abroad in college in London. And, you know, over there you go get your food a few times a week and we got this bread. And I remember it turned green so quickly. And I was so confused. I was mind blown. I was like, oh my gosh, we I have been having fake bread my entire life. And that was like my moment of, oh, wow, things are so different in America versus Europe. And I kind of want to kind of shift away and maybe on a more 
practical level, get your thoughts on what are maybe some of the top dangerous ingredients? You mentioned artificial dyes was kind of the first thing that you removed from your diet. But for anyone listening, what are some of the top three or five ingredients that you would recommend us just to be mindful of and kind of start removing? Yeah. So one of the first things is like the oils that you eat. Um, so whether you're going out to a restaurant or you're cooking at home, you have to be very mindful of the oils you're eating. The oils that have been mass produced to be used in restaurants are very problematic to your health. Uh, just the way that they're processed is problematic. So one of the things that a lot of restaurants get away with is using cottonseed oil because it's some of the cheapest oil possible along with corn and soy. And these oils are deodorized, they're bleached, they're extracted with chemical solvents like hexane. The FDA actually doesn't regulate the amount of hexane residue that remains in these oils after they're produced. And so you're getting a little dose of carcinogen every time. Um, and then they're genetically engineered to withstand heavy doses of pesticides. So cottonseed actually is a textile. So it falls under totally different regulations than food. And so there's so many more pesticides actually that are allowed for use on textiles. And then they use the byproduct of cottonseed oil from the textile industry to create the oil that we consume. But then the corn and the soy has also been heavily genetically engineered to withstand heavy doses of Roundup, which contained glyphosate, and then now has been implicated in court cases across America to cause cancer, and the plaintiffs are awarded billions of dollars. And so this is stuff that's being sprayed on our food, and this is the stuff that's being given to cattle and livestock and our animals in this country. And so unless you are buying grass-fed or pasture-raised chickens, you're consuming a lot of these residues from the glyphosate and then these cheaper crops. And so when we consume these oils, it turns on cancer cells. It's There's so many issues involved in terms of it changes our balance of omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids. It messes up with our brains. It can lead to Alzheimer's disease. There's so many problems with it. And so the first thing, the first step, and it's the easiest thing that you can do is just make sure you're cooking with good oils. And those oils that are, you know, that have been shown to actually uh, increase longevity are extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil, and grass-fed butter. Grass-fed butter and ghee too would be another option. Uh, avocado oil is also a good choice for high heat cooking. So just changing out your oils. And then when you go out to eat, ask if things can be made with olive oil or butter. You know, I was at this hibachi grill recently and uh, not it actually wasn't that recent, but it was a, a few years ago. And I remember uh, they use oil there, but they also bring out this big stick of butter, right? And it was just uh, just the option of just asking the chef, like, hey, can you just use the butter on my meal? And they, they were able to do it. It was really cool. But, you know, not every time you're going to have a chef like cooking in front of you like that. But you can ask restaurants to to make these modifications or you can have, you know, if you get a salad, ask for the dressing on the side because the dressing almost 100% has soybean oil in it. It's one of those oils that they can use and, and it's cheaper for them to use than extra virgin olive oil. I'm so excited about your new book, Food Babe Family, because this is something that is very relevant to my life. The first year of my daughter's life, 
she would eat anything. She would eat like caviar at a restaurant, like fruit, everything. As soon as she turned like almost two, everything changed. And now I have a picky eater on my hands. So you mentioned picky eaters earlier. You talked about like why they become picky eaters. So what are some tips to kind of reverse this? I know things are different when you have a toddler, but like what are some practical things that families can do? Well, the first thing I want to let every parent know is that you have control and you make the boundaries. What you have in your house is what the kids are going to eat. So if you are not showing them by example how to eat and you're still having the stuff that they shouldn't be eating, in the house, they're going to want to eat it. So you really have to lead by example and then know that you can set the boundary. Uh, I had something similar happen with my son who was, who when he was, he's still two. It just feels like he's almost three, but he's still two. He's like, he's been forever too. Um, uh, it's been a long year. <laughs> anyway, so he's, he's amazing, but Right around the time where he turned to, he started deciding like when and if he would eat vegetables all of a sudden. And it was like, no, 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 you were not going to do this to me. I'm the food babe. Like everyone loves vegetables at my house. Like this is not happening. Right. And I remember talking to our pediatrician about it and she's amazing. And she said to me, she says, Bonnie, you have to create the boundary. You have to tell him like, listen, we're going to eat our vegetables or you're not going to get anything else. Right. Like this is what's for dinner and you got to hold your your firm boundary. And I think we, I still have that scarcity mindset that my parents put into my brain that like, if, if they don't eat, they're going to starve, you know, or they're not going to be healthy. And, and so I had to remove that. And then I also had to just stick to what I said, this is what we're having for dinner and not get up and go prepare something different, not get up and like pace around and get worried that they're not going to eat, like sit there in your resolve. And I started to do that. And within two or three times of doing that, he was back to eating all vegetables. So, you know, it's their job, like little kids, it's their job to put up that resistance. They're seeing what they can get away with. And I mean, not only in food, but in all areas of their life at that age, because they're just learning about, you know, the world. And so it's up to us to be the best example. And so I think that's the best advice that I was given and that worked with my family, but also variety is so important. One of the things that I believe causes picky eating is when you fall prey to this child that says they only like this, or they only like that, or they're telling you, I only like broccoli, but I won't eat carrots, you know, and you just have to remove yourself from that conversation and say, you know what, we're going to have carrots on the rotation. We're going to have broccoli on the rotation. We're going to have all of the vegetables on the rotation. And eventually they will come around and eat them. I really, truly believe that. And, and also I've learned that if kids don't eat and they're having a situation where they are refusing food, there's usually something else going on too. They're getting sick. They have to go poop. Like, you know, there's, there's all of these things that happen, right? Or, they didn't get enough sleep. Like there's so many things that happen and it's not always about the food sometimes, it's about something else. And so it's kind of taking your emotion out of that and then creating that variety so they don't get in that rut of having only one or two things for, you know, that uh, or a range of 10 things that they get exposed to a lot of different variety. Even if they eat a bite here and there, it's it's helping their, their bodies. You know, one of the things that also helped me is realizing what toddler portions actually look like. 
and they're really small. Like, you know, it's like one tablespoon of vegetables. That's like nothing. You know, I'm usually serving them a plate of broccoli before they eat the rest of their meal. Right. And it's like, oh, if they just eat a tablespoon, they're getting the nutrition that they need. I love that. The scarcity mindset thing really resonates with me because I grew up so skinny. And so I have this thing like my daughter will not be skinny. My daughter will not be skinny. And then that impacts like that makes you start to make maybe more poor choices for them. Like as long as she's just eating. And I really appreciate the perspective of like, they're not going to starve. It's going to be okay. Like just even having that alone gives like the tool to be like, let me get more healthier foods in the rotation. And this is one of the things that I loved writing about in my book. We almost made my book two books because the first full half of the book is all guidebook on how I raised my kids and how I got through these challenging periods where, you know, they started refusing vegetables and things like that. And just giving everyone the insight that I learned and what I did to kind of break through these different things that happened. And, and I think one of the other pieces that we encounter when we're living in this world that we're living in, in terms of all of the food being so processed is like, what do you do at schools? What do you do when you're traveling? What do you do when there's a party and I cover kind of all that information in the book before you even get to the hundred plus recipes that are things that we're making every single day that are super easy to make. They're less than 30 minutes because I don't have a lot of time to put food on the table and it's stuff that you can make in advance, freeze and have available. So you can meal prep and you don't have to worry about not having real food on the table. I love that. I mean, Drew and I don't have any kids yet, but I'm always thinking because we're so particular, right? Especially Drew, which I love. I'm like, how is our kid going to go to school? How are we going to manage Halloween? How are we going to do events? And I love that we can look at you, read your book, you know, use you as a resource because these are the questions that we're definitely thinking. And what I love so much about you and that you just mentioned, you know, we're all busy, but you still kind of emphasize the importance of cooking at home because it's so key. So maybe can you share a few hacks that you might have for a busy woman, whether we have a family or not, to kind of tap into more home cooking? Because even for me, even though it's important, it still feels like this monstrous thing that I got to get done on my to-do list. Yeah. So one of the things I do is batch cooking as much as possible. And I'll batch things that don't even involve cooking. Like for example, smoothies. This afternoon, I made a smoothie, a giant container of smoothies with greens from my front yard, um, avocado, yo coconut yogurt, uh, mango, banana, and I put a little ginger in there and I made a huge batch of it, but my kid only eats like an eight ounce portion. So what am I going to do with this huge smoothie, right? Well, I bought these amazing little stainless steel cups that I portioned them all out in. And so I have like eight smoothies and I can freeze half of them, put half of them in the fridge. And then if I want to use the freezer ones, I just stick them out from the night before and stick them in the fridge. And he loves to have a smoothie every single day. At some point in the day, he loves to have a smoothie. And I'm putting like so much little, you know, nutrition in that little body of his. And it's so awesome. And I don't have to get out the blender every single day. I don't have to pick the greens or, you know, go buy the greens or make sure I have fresh greens. Like it's, it's once a week that I'm making those smoothies, but he's got something every single day, which is so awesome. And then I can change up the fruit the next week. And so by creating more variety or maybe add a different add-on like a hemp seed or some almond butter or whatever. And so like every single time or I make a frozen you know, set of smoothies, I'm adding different fruits and vegetables. So it's a great way to just have a lot of stuff available. And it's a fast option too, because when they're starving and you haven't started preparing 
food, you want to give them something nourishing. You don't want to go straight to the pantry, which is where they're headed. Like as soon as the pantry doors open, he's in there, right? Like it's my two-year-old, it's something else. He thinks it's like, he's just like loves the pantry. He's just like, oh, wow, you know, because he sees his big sister go in there and she's, you know, she's capable of like making her own snacks now. And so I'm like, you're not quite there yet, buddy. You know, like you will just go to town and it will be a big, big mess. So yeah, uh, that's one of my things that I do. A lot of batch cooking. I'll do that with waffles. I'll do that with pancakes uh, on the weekends is I'll make a lot of, you know, we'll make chicken sausage or whatever, and I'll make a lot of it on the weekend so it's available during the week. And, you know, my pancakes and waffles are using a variety of flours too. So it's not always the enriched white flour that you would normally find in a pancake or waffle. I'm using almond flour, buckwheat flour. I'm using oat flour. And I try to vary that up as well because I don't think kids should always expect something to taste like white flour. I think they should be... um you know, exposed to all the different flower varieties so that they're getting that nutrition from all of those different nutrients. So oh, I love it. I mean, all this is so relatable to even people who don't have families. I'm like, literally, I've been thinking, how do I get more smoothies in my diet? So I don't have to blend every day. I've been talking about it with Drew. So you just solved a problem, put it in the freezer, take it out. Cause I'm all about like efficiency. If I'm doing something exactly. once, how yeah. do I make it last? You can, like I used to do this for myself when I was working in a corporate environment. Yeah. I would make a bunch and then they're in the freezer ready to go. I made it for my friend who just had a baby. You know, she was like looking for fast things to have when she's breastfeeding. I was like, I'll make you a huge batch of smoothies and you can freeze them and just bring them out every single day. And it's like, it's such a way to help, you know, not only get good nutrition in your body, but have a fast option available, you know? Totally, exactly. Well, I'm so pumped about this book. And I know, you know, we barely covered the surface of everything, but I'm glad you have this so we can go into the weeds. And I kind of want to end on a question because a lot of people still don't know alternatives when it comes to snacks. Like that pantry, like you mentioned, everyone's house, you know, my niece and nephew like love their pantry. It's like a sacred space, but maybe what are some of your top few favorite snacks that you give your kids, maybe the brands around it so people can kind of take something away from that. Yeah, absolutely. So one of them I have to mention is the Truvani Only Bar. Oh, yeah. Truvani Truvani is the company that I started. I um, started it because I just wanted to create products that knew had the unnecessary chemicals removed from all of the different products out there. And so when we were creating this bar, we started in my kitchen. And when we took it to manufacturers, they're like, it's going to be $14 each. And we're like, oh, we can't charge that. Right. So we had to create a bar that was economical, had all real organic ingredients, but also would have ingredients that you would find in your own kitchen that didn't have any weird additives or food industry tricks. A lot of bars, you'll see tapioca starch on the label or these different additives of different types of sugars, like a cliff bar will have, you know, four or five or six different types of sugar added to it in different forms, like brown rice syrup and, you know, dextrose and other things and are, you know, in cane sugar and all these different things. And then you realize the reason why they have it five or six times in different forms is they don't want the first ingredient on the label to be sugar. And so I wanted to make sure we created a bar that was healthy, had good fats, was, had healthy sugar like dates and maple syrup. And so I created this bar in mind so that I would feel good if we were on the go and I needed to give it to my kids, I could. 
and my kids love them. It's, it's, a, it's a mainstay in our house. But some of the other ones I want to mention that don't involve like dates or, you know, maple syrup. I think that's one of the problems with snack is all the snacks out there I feel like are sweet snacks, right? Super salty, like processed snacks. And I found some amazing snacks that are super easy to buy because they're readily available and they're super healthy. So one is Rhythm Foods makes these dried fruits and dried vegetable snacks. So they have dried beets, dried carrot sticks, dried cauliflower, dried kale. And I will buy bags of those. My kids go to town with those. The other little uh, option that I have in my bag all the time is olives. There's a company called Gaia that makes these organic olive packs that have organic olive oil, sea salt, and a Kalamata olive. I mean, it's, it's three ingredients. They're ready. They're, they're shelf stable. I don't have to put them in the fridge. What's and the brand? Gaia. Gaia. Okay. Yes. And it's amazing. I mean, they are so good. You can buy a box of them on Amazon and I just have them shipped to my house all the time. My kids love them. And then I also love Epic makes these wild salmon jerky that has just a little bit of maple syrup in it just to add a little sweet glaze on the outside. And it's like maybe a gram or something. It's so light. And, uh, and it's just sea salt and wild salmon. And it's so, they're so tasty. They're chewy. The kids love them. And they're getting like an awesome dose of protein and omega-3 fatty acids and like all the brain building DHA and the wild salmon. So like that's a great snack on the go that's not going to like raise their blood sugar and like keep them sustained and like healthy. So I love that that company. I also love Soli. Soli makes like one ingredient or two ingredient gummies. And so they're like, I would say the healthiest gummy on the market right now. They have like organic mango and absorbic acid. Those are the two ingredients to make a gummy. It's absolutely incredible. They have a guava version, which is so cool because I grew up drinking guava juice um, from the Indian store. <laughs> and, and so I love that they have mango guava um, gummies, and but they also have just the dried fruit. So they have these mango jerkies that are just one ingredient, make organic mango. And my kids love that too. So like there's so many awesome, fun snacks that you can eat out there that are better than goldfish. Actually, I have a list in the book, 100 Better Snacks Than Goldfish. And this includes what I've talked about here today, but also a lot more options than what you think might be available. And if you start having the, these snacks available for kids, they're going to love them. I love it. I mean, I'm taking notes because even one that stood out, I love olives and I'm trying to find like quick package olives to go. And some of them have coloring in it. I was like, what? How is this possible? It looks clean. So I'm literally taking notes with the there olives. are a lot of new companies out there that are doing this, which is great. But this company specifically, they have a green olive and then they also have a black olive. I get them off, off Amazon, but also they have them at Fresh Market if you have a Fresh Market. Okay, amazing. And I also want to call out with Chuvani because, you know, Kay and I have a company and I know behind the scenes how hard it is to push and make clean products and people look at you like you're crazy. We're like, we don't find this acceptable and it's very hard. So I just want to shout out like what you've built at Truvani 
is so incredible. I know how hard it is to come up with like genuinely clean products that are economical for the user, but still make sense. So major props because I know how much work that is. And we'll have to do a part two because I'm very curious to do like a deep dive into Truvani. It's a brand that I love and I'm just so inspired by everything you've built. But Vani, so appreciate you joining us. We're so excited for your book. We'll share all the details in our show notes and Thank you for being with us today. I'm so happy that we had this conversation. I can't wait to see you in person. Yes, soon, yeah. soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny, and it's never too late to start your own empire.